Love, bats, and robots. We watch Batman Mask of the Phantasm. We are the film fellas. We watch movies you love, hate, or have never heard of, and then we talk about them. I'm Greg, and I'm Batman. I'm Nick, and I don't like hard alcohol. I'm Caleb, and despite these recent allegations, Mad Max Fury Road is not my favorite movie. I'm Robbie, and I'm going to have very unpopular opinions this movie. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> Like I said, we are the film fellas, and this week we watched Batman Mask of the Phantasm. This was Caleb's pick. Caleb, tell us a little bit about this movie. All right. So this movie is riding off the coattails of the successful first season of Batman the Animated Series. After they'd finished the first season, Warner Brothers Animation Studio tasked the co-writer and producer Alan Burnett with creating a full-length animated movie with the intent for a directed VHS release. Though eventually the budget was raised and the movie was given a full theatrical release on December 24th, 1993. Alan Burnett originally wanted to tell a story where Batman's rogues gallery capture him and make him stand trial as they hold him responsible for their creation and their rise to villainy. That idea, while I think is pretty good, uh, Burnett realized that it would have Batman doing a lot of not crime fighting, Mm -hmm. which for an initial opus an animated movie is not great when your main character is just sitting down standing trial the whole time that idea was then turned into the episode for the tv show trial which is also pretty good and pretty funny i recommend all right fellas you ready to do a one sentence summary let's do it indeed yep. all right, I'll, I'll start off and then we'll go in the regular order oh. all right i am vengeance i am the knight i am in love (laughs) that's good (laughs) robbie's so stone-faced it makes me upset (laughs) 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 all right robbie sorry sorry go ahead all right it's okay batman meets noir with less plot you just described uh, what Batman is. Yeah. I know, <laughs> Batman that's the is problem with Batman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. My, uh, Nick, it's pretty lame. It's just oh, Batman Origins. That's what this movie is. Uh, <laughs> X-Men <What>? Origins Batman. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that's what it is. That's the, the accuracy of that statement is chilling. So mine is... Watch Alfred age poorly. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> Did he age poorly? I don't he know. He starts off not gray, and within a year, ten years. Andrea it's is ten. first there. Ten years. Ten? Yeah. He's still aged like doo-doo. He's like a grape. He has to worry about Bruce Wayne going out being Batman every night. That'll turn That's you gray. That's what I love. But like that, full gray. <laughs> that Alfred didn't age terribly af- like during or after the war. It's after he becomes Batman's butler that he starts showing the signs of age. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the real stress. Holy shit, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you guys ready to, to talk plot? Let's do it. I'll uh, start off. We start on a regular night. Batman's out there fighting crime, heading after local mob boss Chucky Soul, when all of a sudden his crime fightery is interrupted by a mysterious phantasm. This phantasm is directly responsible for the killing of local mob boss Chucky Soul. Fellas. So local mob boss Chucky Soul has been trying to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's great. I love that we call him local mob boss. <laughs> local mob boss. <laughs> we saw, <laughs> saw like, a newspaper that heard about it and was like reporting on it as it happened. Local alleged mob boss Chucky Soul was found dead this morning, and so Batman is he possibly the reason that he's dead? More than eleven. That's what the newspaper reads as they look and see. Wow. More people are dying. So the councilman is out there and says that Batman is a vigilante. They can't trust him. Why are we even having him fight for us? You know, we got to take him in. But uh, Commissioner Gordon says, no, that's not going to work. And then quite literally he says, but he's a loose cannon. 
you know he's a loose cannon. And Commissioner Gordon says, I'm not going to stop him. You know, you guys can do it if you want. And then we zoom in on the next mob boss who's now being chased by the Phantom who's trying to kill him. Oh. So the Phantom shows up in a cloud of smoke and says all this gloom and doom kind of stuff about being Buzz Bronski. The angel of your death and whatnot. <laughs> and proceeds to kill this mob boss. Then we go to this party at Bruce Wayne's house where he's just got mad ladies all over him and they're like oh bruce why don't you have a lady why don't you why don't you settle down and get married and he's like oh i don't know and then this red-headed woman comes up and goes yeah he's always here for you in the beginning but then he never calls and throws the drink in his face fellas so while batman's at the party he's soaking wet arthur reeves comes over and talks to him the council member and then that prompts Batman to reminisce about a time that he used to have an ex-girlfriend named Andrea Belmont. And they go to an amusement park. And it's all about the future. And that's where Batman sees the Batmobile's first model. And he goes, wow. And Andrea's like, what's going on? He's like, look at that car. It's pretty cool. But she wants marriage and he doesn't want to bring that up. And they leave. Fellas. I just wanted to clarify. That's the World's Fair that they went to. It comes up later in the movie. Anywho. So Andrea and Bruce are getting pretty chummy. Bruce is starting to lose grip of the vow that he made to his parents to rid his city of scum and make sure that no eight-year-old ever has to feel how he felt when he was a kid because Andrea makes his heart warm and fuzzy. So he tries to reconcile his conflicting natures as Andrea comes straight to the graveyard where he was visiting his parents and essentially unnails the coffin that Andrea is indeed the angel that Bruce needs to set his life straight to the opposite of chagrin of Alfred. Meanwhile, a third mod boss, Sal Valestra, is getting nervous that his previous business partners are being axed. So he goes to the Joker for help, fellas. Oh, he goes to Joker's for help, and Joker's like, well, why are you here? And he's like, well, someone's trying to kill us all. What are you going to do to help us? And he's like, all right, fine. I'm going to try and track him down. So the Joker goes ahead and goes into the councilman's office and you realize that the councilman's been in on it the whole time. What did he do? He He sold out Andrea's father to the mob so that he could have money for his campaign because he had told him no. So Andrea was going to come up to his office, but the Joker turns it off and says, no, 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 and injects him with some laughing toxin. We see him later that night, and he's at the hospital. Can't stop laughing until the poison's gone. And Batman comes to the window, and he confronts him. Councilman, you're one of the mob, aren't you? Why did he come to see you? What are you hiding? And he reveals it all to Batman, who then starts to piece together and realize there's something going on. After all, Andrew's father knew the rest of the mob boss. So Batman goes and finds Andrew's father's office and sees a photograph of Andrea's father with all these mob bosses, and he sees this guy who looks really familiar. He's like, why do I know this guy? So he mm. takes the picture with him. We cut inside the home of local mob boss, Sal <laughs> and uh, smoke comes in through the window, and it's the phantasm. And the phantasm comes up with more creepy language, like about your reckoning and whatnot, and pulls back the newspaper and sees that Sal is already dead with a big grin on his face. Obviously, Joker has killed him, and... He's like, ah, oh, curses, I gotta go find the Joker now. <laughs> and then Batman is checking over this picture. He's like, who is this guy in the back? Why does he look so familiar? Draws a grin on his face. He's like, oh, it's Joker. Shit, time for the final showdown. Fellas. So we get a flashback to Andrea, and we find out, again, her father was involved with the Joker and all of his people, and he was sold out by Arthur Reeves. And we end up finding out that Andrea is the phantasm and she's the one trying to get revenge for her the death of her dad, Carl. And they end up going back to the... <gasps> Whoa! They go back to the World's Fair. And Joker's chilling out with his robot wife. Because he's like Plankton from Spongebob. Andrea confronts him as the Phantasm. Gets dismantled. And we're all like, wow, it's Andrea! And they begin fighting. Fellas. Batman comes in to save the day. Who from? Who knows? Andrea wants to kill Joker. Joker wants to defend himself, obviously. Batman can't let either of them die, and the three of them duke it out. And in the end, Andrea gets away with Joker, unknown of Joker's fate, and uh, Shirley Walker leads us out with a a nice sort of soulful jam. 
That was my least favorite part of the movie. I'm going to be honest. Was that ending credit song? I, I don't understand that one. <laughs> oh, and uh, Andrea ends up alone. There's that meaningful tidbit too. So, fellas, that was pretty good. Yeah. By the Fastest way, since we've done yet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Succinct. I mean, we skipped a bunch of stuff. I storyboarded sure the entire plot out this way, and oh, uh, we skipped. We skipped a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, we just skipped that Andrea and Bruce were going to get hitched until she left an anonymous note gaslighting Bruce saying, oh, uh, dad says I'm too young. We're going to Europe. Forget about me. And even though Bruce definitely probably tried to look for her, he couldn't just find her. Mm-hmm. And that put him on the path to being Batman. Well, I don't know. We don't have to go like super beat by beat. But anyway. Yeah, we can bring it up if we want to. Yeah, we can bring it up if we want to. Anyways, <laughs> fellas, I wanted to ask... Before we get into the discussion of the movie as a whole, what's your history with Batman? Do you like the character? Do you not like? Like, what was the first bit of Batman that you saw? I'll start. I believe my first Batman that I ever saw was this show called The Batman. It was a show that ran on, uh, I believe, Cartoon Network from 2004 to 2008. And pretty much the only thing notable to take from that show is the, the art style. Other than that, it's pretty basic stuff, nothing compared to the heights of the animated series, in my opinion. But since watching that show, I've since become a little obsessed. I know a lot, and I'm pretty aware of, of a lot of things Batman, but only to the extent that like those new articles that, that's like, Robert Pattinson dropped his watch on set. Here are 10 things that tells us about the new upcoming Batman movie. I don't read those articles. <laughs> I see those and I'm like, who the heck cares? So as super fan as I am, that's where I draw the line. And uh, whoever wants to go next can go next. I think my first instance with Batman is the animated series. Uh, I grew up oh, with dog. that. I was at just the right age for that to come out. That show really started the animation renaissance of the 90s, where people were throwing more money into cartoons and really cleaning up the animation, really giving them a distinct art style really allowing for full orchestration of every episode. And that really jumped over into like Tiny Toons and Animaniacs with Steven Spielberg backing those. Mm-hmm. I also have very distinct memories of mm-hmm. uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, the terrible Joel Schumacher movies. <laughs> and from there, I really liked Batman. I really liked the animated series. I liked the Arkham games. I liked the Christopher Nolan movies. I haven't seen mm-hmm. Batfleck. We'll see how I feel about this new one coming up. The teasers don't... They don't grab you? Don't impress me much. They don't grab me, yeah. We'll see. But yeah, I really like Batman. You could skip Batfleck. I'll just... I'll, I'll, I'll give... Probably wasn't gonna. Yeah. As I understand you as a Batman fan, uh, you can skip Batfleck. <laughs> uh, Nick? So my first introduction to Batman was a children's book that was like ripped from one of the TV shows with um, Kevin Michael Richardson's Batman, the one that looks like the deformed Joker. Uh, And then I started watching the animated TV show or the Batman, the original animation when I was like five. And then I got into Teen Titans because that was the cool stuff and then moved to Batman Beyond. And from there, I just always kept up with the every movie that came out. And recently all the new animated Batman movies like Son of Batman just because I've always loved comic books, and I thought mostly Batman's villains are my favorite, but Batman himself, mm-hmm. for me, is just, he's been one note for so long. Mm-hmm. I'll still watch him, but I feel like his character, the overall development has slowed down significantly in the last couple of years. You said the, the kid's book from the show with Kevin Michael Richardson? Yes, as um, the Joker. As the Joker. So yeah, that was the show that I, I watched first. Yes. The Batman? The Batman. Yeah, you have mm, Batman, Batman and The Batman. And like Batman Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. Brave I forgot to bring up Batman Soul. Beyond. Also a really good show. Also mm-hmm. really good show. Also there's, show. while we're digging on animation, there's this episode of Justice League Unlimited that is essentially a continuation of Batman Beyond series. It's mm-hmm. the finale of the first season, I believe. I think that's my favorite Batman story. Nice. Anyway, that that doesn't matter that much. Robbie, tell us Hi guys. what you think about Batman. <laughs> All right. 
So my first intro into Batman was the 1997 Batman Robin. And I remember watching that. And the only thing I came away with was how much I liked the villains. I mean, the movie was not good. Even as a child, I could realize that. <laughs> but the fact that the villains were kind of a focal point really guided my taste for Batman. Throughout any the DC canon, whenever they bring Batman villains and stuff in, I watch it for the villains, not for Batman himself, because I think that he's just a flat caricature that has not grown in the 20 some odd year or 30 some odd years that he's really been in this cinematic universe. I don't know. I just never, I'm not a huge fan of Batman itself. I don't hate it specifically, but it's just not my thing. I do like the newer versions of some of the villains that have come out. Harley Quinn, the different iterations of the Joker have been interesting. I still have a soft spot for the absolutely crazy Poison Ivy from the 97 film. It was hilarious. <laughs> but uh, that's pretty much my intro into it. And as far as like whether, I mean, it's probably obvious by this point that I didn't really like this film, but we'll get into that in a little bit. No, I want to get into that now. Why didn't you like it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's perfectly Honestly, fine that you did. Just <laughs> wanted to preface. This is all in, in friendly talk, but uh, I want to me, Fight me, Robbie. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> That's I'm personal for Nick. <laughs> to the bike was... racks. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with this movie is mostly the fact that it leans so much on its noir premise but it doesn't have the breadth of plot you'd be wanting of what's going on. Basically, it is clear from the outset that there's something going on with Andrea being the bad character. They don't even try to hide it because they started off with her in a plane on the way back on the phone going, yes, I'm touching down, and they don't show her face. It's like every single signal in the book, like, oh, this is a bad character. So later on, when they try to play it up as a big shock of, oh my God, she's the phantasm this whole time. It's like, well, yes, I was hoping there'd be an untwist somewhere along that way. Be like, well, she's not, you know, it's actually, you know, this going on. I would have even taken an evil twin sister or something upset about the father dying. So I don't know. I just, I didn't like the twists and turns. I didn't think they were very substantial. But you know, why I really don't like this movie is the fact that there's no villains. There's none of the villains that I like that you think of when you think of the Batman canon. You get the Phantasm, which is a throwaway character that's not that good. Well, you do get the Joker, but he's, one, he gets defeated at the end by poofing away. He's not the main concerned villain. He doesn't have this grand wah plan. He just does one death and shoots the other guy up with laughing toxin. Yeah, but it's not a death. But it just doesn't have the oomph that you're used to with the Batman villains. But that's the one good thing, like I said, about the Batman canon is you can have these over-the-top, archetypical, straight-out, insane villains and make them work because this entire universe they're in is a crap stack universe where Gotham is just awful. And so people can have these crazy backstories that end up with them having these cool, weird superpowers that, in Penguin's case, becoming a bird but either way like it gives them something that's special to them which is what yeah, like calendar later. man yeah or like condiment king <laughs> or kite okay. man kite man nah. oh. maybe not all of them okay, i like kite man kite man is great <laughs> by the way everyone, everybody should watch everybody should watch harley quinn it is a great show uh, yeah, I would yeah, also like be. to say, Robbie, a big part of my enjoyment from Batman in the last 10 years have been the stories of what the fandom calls the Bat family, because he has like this huge extended, essentially family of people that mostly he's adopted. And like me. according to fans, he literally has adopted. There's a cast of up to six main continuity Robins. There's several what? Batgirls. Then you have Batman Inc., which is essentially a Batman around the world. My favorite variant of that is when Batman sleeps with Barbara Gordon, who is listen, Commissioner listen, Gordon's listen, daughter, gets listen, while she was dating Dick Grayson as Robin. It was beautiful. While we're on that subject, <laughs> I went to the, 
I went to the theatrical premiere of the Killing Joke movie, and I was in the theater. Me too. That's where Caleb and I unofficially met, even though we didn't see each other or talk to each other or know each other. We were probably in the same theater, both going, ooh, at the same time. So, yeah. Anyways, Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, let's talk about Mask of the Phantasm. (laughs) Do you have a favorite moment from the movie? Does the ending credits count? Is that your favorite part? That was toxic. That was a That's funny because Caleb hated the ending credits. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't hate it. It's just like <laughs> not. It great. definitely didn't feel like what the production crew wanted, but like they were given a bigger budget for the music, which allowed them to have a choral, like a, a, a Latin chorus, doing all this very heightened gothic tone, and then they end with such a softball of a song. I Never Even Told You was uh, written by Seda Garrett and performed by Tira Carrer. And I'm not saying it's a bad song, but as far as Batman song goes, it could be better. My favorite part is just the explosions at the final battle when Joker sets off like the self-destruct button. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the colors, the like orange, the explosion, but then all of a sudden there's like little flashes of a light pink to show just like it slowly moving on. Because explosions are pretty hard to animate to make them look fluid. They would go every three frames, it'd get bigger. But between those three frames, from one, it'd get, move out like two pixels, another two pixels, and then three, it'd go out to the next part. I didn't know that. My favorite part is when all the joy in Bruce's life has just been taken away and he resigns himself to become the Batman. He's like, I will forsake my life as Bruce. I will fully become mm-hmm. Batman for the first time. He puts on his mask and cowl, turns around and his eyes are glowing white. And Alfred just shocked. My God. Because he realizes the boy that he raised is gone. He's no longer there. Mm-hmm. He now has this vigilante crime fighter that is who he's going to live with for the rest of... Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I, I love that moment when Batman's eyes turned white, Alfred's hair also turned white. <laughs> <laughs> it was instantaneous. Mm-hmm. If I'm being honest, though, my favorite part of the film was Alfred. Everything that he was in was, was great because it was just the deadpan. Because like you said, the, a little bit of the darker side of this is, yeah, the person that he actually raised and loved is dead for all intents and purposes. He's gone, not coming back. So the slight snark he has for the rest of the time that he's with him is great. And every time he comes to give them tea and he has to be like, <laughs> nope. He comes back and he's like, nope. I think that might and be yeah, all the joke. All the present scenes with Alfred where he struggles to connect with Batman because Bruce is dead, so he doesn't know how to connect with this man anymore. But in all the flashbacks, before he's Batman, they are a little more connected and familial. Which I like. Every time he's making out with Andrea and he walks in with the drinks. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Never mind. Never mind. (laughs) I love that. He's just like a third wheel for most of the movie and his thing is, I'm sure I have something else to do. (laughs) I also like that... uh, when Andrea comes back and it looks like in the present, it looks like Bruce and Andrea are going to try and pick up where they left off. You can hear it in Alfred's voice. It's like, and what does this mean for your alter ego, sir? Like, it's very hopeful that this might be the end, and as is Bruce. Now, which alter ego do you think he meant? Do you think he meant as Bruce or as Batman? Pretty sure Alfred was like, what does this bode for Batman? Ooh. <laughs> Pretty sure. Do you have a, Do you have an alternate take? No, it, it could go either way. I think, I think it is. Because they were Batman. in the Batcave when it happened, so we could be talking about either alter ego. Mm-hmm. It's do you think that he is more Batman all the time or more Bruce all the time? Yeah, I would think that he's probably more Batman. Anyway. <laughs> I would say that's definitely Batman because originally when he asked Andrea to marry him, he talks about how how is he going to do this while he has a loved one. So that was, again, mirroring that decision 10 years ago. I can't have a great scene at his parents' grave where it's like, I know I made this promise to you to avenge your death, but I never counted on being happy. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the questioning his decision to be Batman. Yeah. Batman, as it were. Batman. <laughs> the Batman. <laughs> so, with Andrea's character, that's the only part I don't fully enjoy about this movie. Because why was she with Arthur Reeves at all? She had the picture. She knew about all the mob people. There was no reason for her to get down and dirty with a little rat like that. I feel like they weren't actually dating. He was kind of hitting on her all the time, and they had had a past. But I, I didn't read it as they were actually together. Arthur Reed certainly yeah. wanted to get in there, but yeah. oh, I don't no, think I, Andrea yeah. was <laughs> letting that happen. But it was like when they were at his place, uh, he kisses her, and it seemed like in their conversation that they already like have done. He's like, you know, you stay the night. You don't want to go to go to bed hungry. We have more time to go. Yeah, and then she's like, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. I read that as more that she kissed him to get rid of him because she suspected that Batman was lying in wait. Yeah, yeah. Her, her apartment, and she was just sort of she blowing him like off. Him. Robbie, what? Yeah, she did, she did not like him. So I, I think that that was all... It was all him trying to get in her pants and her just kind of rushing up like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, uh, uh, <laughs> Trying slowly to break that off because he is a city councilman and with her plans of trying to take over people she doesn't want to get too much of like thing going where it's like oh well you can't be here so she's probably trying to be like oh yeah yeah and it's a great connection to her old life without giving away to the mobsters that she's coming back Mm -hmm. like he was part of it but he wasn't that deep into it he wasn't as deep as local mobster chucky soul yeah. Local Bob Bob. Local Bob Bob. That's the so best this fake is after out the first week. season of Batman the Animated Series, correct? Yes, yes, I believe after the first season. And he wasn't found out, like his identity at that point. Yet no. he gets found out immediately by Andrea. Even though yeah. he's been Batman for ten years. I think they had that love like connection, it. so Yeah, but like love know. connection to like Batman is totally negating everything he's done in the last 10 years in order to like no i'll, I'll give you it was pretty uh convenient to the plot yes it was a i think they just needed to they just needed to rush through that part. there was a bit of that, a leap in logic there that andrea saw batman by the wayne grave like and if he, he just, yeah away. and he wasn't even like visiting the grave he was just in the graveyard doing something else and happened mm-hmm. to end up by the grave but like why every he time she clothes? goes to that grave does she turn around and be like well is that bruce <laughs> could be but also does he always go there while he's dressed as batman he could just like taken off like the outfit i feel like standing at your parents grave with the batman outfit little weird man but he's full batman now yeah yeah but flaunt it like look at my costume mom and dad are you proud really <laughs> tied around my with enormous your shoulders <laughs> <laughs> okay i want to talk about the animation style real quick i love it because it's so classic but also why is every dude in there a bodybuilder or a swimmer because their shoulders are way too wide because to the it's female's a comic book i know but the just bruce's shoulders <laughs> are literally four of andrea lined up next to each other like okay if that guy's walking down the street you're like that guy that guy fights crime he is so built. There's no reason. Why would a billionaire who has to like run a company stop to get that swole? Because he's a billionaire playboy. You got shoulders the lifestyle. size of a sidewalk. <laughs> it's true. They it's, do fill up most of the sidewalk. It's one of those things where it's like the silhouette. If this was in real life, the silhouette would obviously match you. Like, oh, of course you're Batman. Because all I'm going to do is like color you in with some black marker, and bam, there you are. And like he's like tall too. Glasses. Like it's not mistakable. Like he Everyone's goes to Andrea's father, um, Carl, and he is, is significantly taller than him. And the chin. It's like you could tell. It's like, oh, that's, that's Batman. That chin. That jawline could slice a pizza. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, have you ever seen rich kids? They're all, look at the Kennedys, you know? They're all just <laughs> like square jawed because they got the money and the time and the resources. Working off the Kennedy quickly. Have you ever seen the show Clone High? <laughs> yes. They give him the exact same Batman. <laughs> I've never seen Clone High. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that shit when it was on TV. 
I wasn't. I was barely alive then. <laughs> Wait, what's what's True. Clone High? Uh, Clone High is a show by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and it's about how way back in the 1980s, secret government employees dug up famous guys and ladies and made amusing giant copies, and now they're clones, they're sexy teens, and they're going to make it if they try. Learning, laughing, and living, judging. Time to laugh and shiver and cry. Clone High. Wow. Oh, well, I've I've seen that before. (laughs) So the government cloned a bunch of famous people, and they're all high school age so they all go to high school together so it's a bunch of uh high school kids who are all famous people clones of famous people and they all know that they're clones and they all know who these people are great also, show. Anyways, that was that was a great that was the theme song yeah okay i was gonna say like how he has that you bring that stuff to the podcast man ever do clone okay. high all right well anyway back to batman yeah let me let me get in my uh, edit here Hey, Robbie, guess yeah. what I want to talk about? I got some what? themes. Themes! <laughs> <laughs> we got themes! It's time for Robbie's themes. Thank you, Nick. You're welcome. So <laughs> the first theme I want to talk about is duality, because there's a lot of duality in this movie with Batman and Bruce, with Batman and the Phantasm. Specifically with Batman and the Phantasm, they have similar looks, they have the glowing eyes, they're shadowed in black they kind of just show up out of nowhere phantasm with the cloud of smoke batman by just showing up because he's got batman powers one is good one is evil one will not kill one will totally kill what do you guys feel about the duality of those characters or just the duality of any anything that happens in this movie because there's a lot Mm -hmm. you want to go first look at your face all right so (laughs) settle in fellas yeah settle in (laughs) i got my water so the first big thing about the duality that comes up um, other than the ones that you already mentioned is the duality of Andrea who she was and Andrea who she is now before the death of her father and after and just why those two kind of clash because you can like I said it's really easy early early on in the film to realize like oh there's something going on with this girl but one of the big things is her feelings toward violence at all in the beginning when she is with bruce and they're starting their dating she's very fighting adverse in fact when they're walking by that group that goes and attacks the guy with the briefcase which i'm going to come back to this one because there's something about that scene that i think is actually pretty funny on a rewatch because it was a mistake by the animators but during that scene she goes up to him and is like, Bruce, are you okay? You know, what can I do? And she tries to stop him after he goes after him. And then he's like, oh, don't touch me. And he yanks his arm away from her. And you can see her eyes just kind of like, what is going on with this man who I thought that I love? And the thing was, she doesn't have a problem with the violence itself per se. Her first real meeting with him outside the graveyard is at his house when he's practicing his jujitsu. And then she shows him she's perfectly capable of taking care of herself. She tosses him onto the ground and then he rolls back on top of her in that sort of action. And then Alfred comes out and finds them kissing. But she, it's not- And walks inside with the drinks. (laughs) (laughs) You think he drinks drinks afterwards and then- Was he going to let him go to waste? Yeah, I think he drinks them himself. (laughs) Like what? Like he's a for me. Oh, he can't take this? Oh, well. So um, much iced tea. (laughs) (laughs) Alfred you're always stopping to the bathroom you're the most regular scene (laughs) he ends up walking away and so they're together Andrea doesn't have a problem with the violence in the beginning but she does have a problem when he goes to attack the bullies because it's not self defense even though he's being a vigilante he's stopping what's happening because it's not a self defense act she draws a distinction there whether that's good or bad, it's important because that sets up her mindset that if it is not to her, if it is not something that is internalized, you should, unless it's self-defense, you leave it alone. Because that kind of cultivates what she becomes later when she becomes the phantasm. Because the phantasm herself is all about attacking and hunting down these people, but after they've already been hurt. But basically, I just think that because of how Andrea didn't have problems with violence before, but now she does when it's directed to other people. 
that's what made it easier for her to go in this violent vendetta of death. Mm. And I think that also does kind of feed into how she acts as the phantasm because the phantasm on attack usually just lucks out with their assassinations. Like the killing of local mob boss, Chucky soul was completely accident. Uh, Buzz Bronzy. That was credible. I'll give that one to the phantasm. Salvalestra was done for the phantasm and Joker sort of just gave himself up for the, for the sake of the joke. And so whenever the Phantasm fights on the attack, it's not very successful. I definitely see what you, what you mean. And that is an interesting detail that I never would have caught. Did we ever find out how the Phantasm got the powers? Yeah, I want to know why she can use, like, smoke to transfer, please. I'm going to assume Yeah, did that ever come money. up? No. Okay. I'm going to assume it's money. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah, because she like full on like disappears in the smoke and teleports with smoke. Yeah, people will attack and she's not there anymore. Yeah, and- never explain. And even Joker talks about like makes a joke about her being smoke when he turns the plane on. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, uh, did she like Ra's al Ghul that stuff and go into the fountain or something? <laughs> so. Just just constantly she has like a water bottle with Lazarus Pit water in it. She's <laughs> constantly dunking it on herself to revive herself. Next, do you have any thoughts on the duality of anything um, in this movie? Uh, as far as duality goes, I think you have to know Batman's story and the reason why he picks to like fulfill justice but not kill anyone and goes for more of um a vigilante style as with Andrea, she's just going there to get full on revenge. She doesn't have any drive to um, show herself as being morally just. Batman. Yeah, she's driven to... purely by revenge. Yeah, Batman goes both for revenge, but he wants to change how his parents died. They were murdered by a guy in an alleyway. He wants to get rid of that, but not become it. Andrea doesn't even hesitate to become the thing she hates. Which I think is what really scares Alfred is that he is in the attempt to do good. He dresses up as someone who does bad. And that's mm-hmm. why he's, yeah, he's really scared. And that's, again, why people think that it's Batman doing these killings to begin with, because they are dressed very similar. They're dressed as these monsters where, like you said, one is much more monster inside than the other. Mm-hmm. And I have another theme that I thought was interesting that's not usually touched on with Batman, and I think could only be done in this type of origin story, is the constant look to the family photo of his mother and father together on the wall. Whenever he thinks of like what he wants to be, who he wants to become, he sees himself as his father and Andrea as his mother. And there are a lot of very intentional similarities uh, between the two. And he's given this option multiple times where you can decide You can be happy with her, have your money, have your home, have the life your parents had that they originally wanted for you, or be the Batman. And he repeatedly looks up there when he's having his crisis of faith. And when Alfred comes in there and talks to him about her, when he's looking at that picture, is one of the last times where he's in sort of a headspace where he's like, maybe I can do this. And then for the rest of the movie, he doesn't look the painting again. Oh, that is interesting. Also, I didn't notice it. It's definitely very much, this is his ideal happiness. Mm-hmm. And like I said, once he becomes Batman, happiness is not an option anymore. It right. is I mean, I didn't think about surely it. Surely vengeance. Yeah. I got to say, I think that my favorite duality is the duality between Bruce and Batman. And my favorite scene in the whole movie is the scene where uh, he's pleading to his parents that it has to be okay now because things are different. And he's begging his parents for them to forgive him for not continuing his quest for justice. I think that it's the most interesting question that's been posed in a Batman movie. The question is, what happens when Batman is happy? Or can he be happy? And I think that that's the most interesting piece of Batman that we've had in the cinema, I think, ever. Definitely. And that leads me to another a theme I want to bring up. 
Ooh. which I found in this movie, which is escape. Is it possible? Is it possible for him to escape being Batman? Is it possible for him to escape this vengeance that he promised? You know, is it possible for Andrea to escape the pain she feels by killing off these mobsters? Will going through with this make her feel any better or will it just send her down into a darker spiral? And is it possible for local mob boss Sal Valestra to escape his punishment? Also, no. Well, yes, if he didn't get on the roller coaster. Yeah, that's all it would take. That was a bad idea. Never get on anything with the Joker. That guy didn't have long anyways. No, I didn't have long. I personally think that you can move on. How they're written, probably not, because it's very one note as bad. You got comic books to sell. It all... (laughs) It's all for him. But if they're a real person, they can. Bruce has billions of dollars. He can see a therapist. He doesn't see a therapist. He beats up people and talks to Alfred. Alfred is an enabler who doesn't stop Bruce and helps him by creating the Batcave and healing him. Just don't heal him for once. And then he has to sit in bed with all of his wounds and deal with the pain of, and reality of, like, why am I doing this? Andrea, again. I think as his father character, he couldn't mm-hmm. bring himself to do that ever. Also, yep. he's on the payroll. I raised this kid, yes, and he's paying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, like, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, <laughs> Alfred's going to make the cheddar yeah. cheese somehow. And Andrea can also see therapy or move on or see Bruce without talking to people like arthur reeves there's there's no reason for her to go see him again it happened years ago losing a loved one sucks but it was due to his own choices if she just met with bruce maybe she could have worked together with him for that or she could have found this person to give her support but she never tried she avoided him when it was her fault that she left yet she sort of blamed him in order to get his moral compass changing during this whole movie. Fellas. All right. So I have to disagree with you. Personally, I think that because of the way, especially this film, but in general, the way Batman's written, he's so consumed with his thoughts of vengeance that to him, escape isn't even an option. He's trapped himself in this web where he feels that the only way he can get happiness is by eliminating people for his parents. And in this movie, when he goes to their grave and apologizes for maybe not being able to fight in their honor, it's contrasted with the fact of Alfred, who you can tell doesn't want him to do this. Alfred is the closest thing to a father figure in Bruce's life right now. So we can infer that he would have similar thought processes as his parents. Also, knowing the background story for Batman, we know one of the reasons why they were killed was so that Bruce Wayne would be safe. She was giving up her jewelry. He was willing to give it up because he wanted to protect his family. And that was one of the issues. Is that the type of family that would want you to continue on fighting? No. But he's twisted it in his head to think that the only thing he has left is to kill as many people as possible. But um, the reason Batman kill. does not kill people. Batman doesn't kill. Sorry, people. sorry. until the killing uh, joke. But he no. serves up sweet justice. Yes, sorry. And the also, reason why, I think it's like Caleb said: is he never wants anyone to go through the pain that he felt. Um, so yeah, his, his only you said like he twisted it. The only way he can rationalize that is to fight crime. Yes, fighting crime. Um, I, I actually had misspoke because I was trying to also tie it back to Andrea, who does kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. he fights crime. Andrea, on the other hand goes out and kills her victim. But more than that, at the very end of the movie, it's very important. The last scene we see is her all alone. She has nothing. Mm-hmm. She has no one. She's sailing away on the ship. Is she happy? No. And so what we're seeing is, at the very least, the knowledge that if Bruce were to go full throttle with his vengeance, if he were to cross that boundary, it could kill, or it would end up leaving him empty and alone. I also think it's very interesting the parallels that this movie shares with 1989 Tim Burton Batman, where Tim Burton swaps up Bruce's origin story so that specifically the Joker kills his parents. 
In my mind, for Batman to be Batman, the person who kills his parents has to be nobody. Because then his... Just a random street thug. His vendetta has to be uh, against injustice and crime. Because if it's just one person who kills his parents, then he he can put a face to all of his anger, which is why... Not directly why, but I don't think it's a very extreme coincidence that 1989 Batman definitely kills people. And the same is in this movie where the Joker does kill Andrea's father and now she can put a face to all of her pain and she will go out and seek her vengeance in a killing manner. It seems to me kind of like, as far as like just the Batman canon it's an exploration of addiction. He's addicted to going out and fighting crime. More so than just, oh, I'm doing it for the good of the people. It's because the only way he th- he's chasing that freedom he thinks he'll feel when he gets rid of all the injustice in the world. And I like that contrast with Andrea being completely alone because we get that glimpse of what could happen. As far as having Andrea have a face to her revenge... It really makes this entire story incredibly sad because mm-hmm. she knows the Joker killed her dad. So there's absolutely no reason for her to kill local mom boss Chucky Soul. Local mom boss Chucky Soul. What do they say? Comedy works in threes and 14? <laughs> yes. <laughs> My real thing I wanted to bring up was how effective the police were in this one when they actually took the time to go after Batman. Cause usually commissioner Gordon keeps him at bay, but with uh, Arthur Reeves saying how, or like starting the pressure on how Batman's the one killing everyone, the police actually take the time to hunt him down. And it would have been perfectly effective if it wasn't for the deus ex machina of Andrea coming up with a car. Like if they have guns and choppers, Batman's done. Like, it was a very human interpretation of Batman Mm -hmm. because he had limitations in this one. Yeah. Although, from my knowledge of the animated series, it's pretty much canon that anyone who has a firearm is the poorest marksman you've ever seen in your life. That was uh, Fox Sensors. They're lucky they got away with that many guns. Yeah. (laughs) Also, when it's not Batman in the suit, like when he, he takes his grappling hook, puts it on his um, mask and hood and sends it after a chopper mm-hmm. so it looks like Batman's flying through the air. They hit every oh, single sweet. shot. They do like the carnival game where you have to shoot the star with the gun out of the mm-hmm. river. They do that with Batman's mm-hmm. suit. But yet when he's walking around and not flying in the air, they miss. The Stormtrooper School of Marksmanship. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about all the bat vehicles, fellas? Yeah, like what? We get like, mad bat like vehicles. What, we get a Greg? Batmobile. We get a bat cycle. A uh, plane. A bat plane. Batman got the. He pulls out all the stops. Mm-hmm. And they showed us where he got the idea all for the, bat the Batmobile. Stops. All the bats. I did like that. Yeah, when he goes to the World's Fair, which is great, which looked a lot like the movie Metropolis, and it's mm-hmm. leaving. Like here's the car of the future, and he's like, hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Literally gets so distracted that Andrea's like, hey. <laughs> we were talking. <laughs> uh-huh. Wouldn't that look really good in black? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Does it come in black? A giant flame coming out the back? That'd be great. What if it could turn into what's a plane? The, what's the bat plane called? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. It's not called bat the bat. Yeah, is it called the bat wing? I think it is. So, Maybe. Yeah, or, it's, or the bat plane. Just the bat plane. It's, yeah. That's the prop plane. TM. Where, where all the, where the propellers are like little bat symbols. Yeah, it's been around. I always wish yeah. the Christopher Nolan Batman used the original design for the Batmobile, just because mm-hmm. like the tumbler, the low rider look suits yeah. him instead of like driving yeah. a tank. I think every uh, new iteration of Batman, you have to make it your own, or else you'll be accused of plagiarism or yeah. not being original. Speaking of iterations of Batman, let's talk about how Mark Hamill is Joker who is known for the voice of Joker and like everything since he first did the animated series. And he was Luke Skywalker and Ralph. He, as far as I'm concerned, is the best Joker. I agree. Especially voice wise. Heath Ledger did a good interpretation for live action. Mm -hmm. 
I like the twist. It really worked in the Nolan verse, but as far as the Joker goes, Mark Hamill is just where it's at. Mm-hmm. I love specifically how the Joker perfectly uh, rides the line between intimidating and funny. And in this movie, it's on full display. I, I wrote something down about it. Oh, okay. so when local mob asks, Sal Valestra goes to him for help and he starts getting hysterical and grabs him by the coattails. Like, you got to help me, man. I don't know what to do. And they like zoom in on his face and he has like that blood red background and you see him get really mad and you're like, oh, this is it. Joker's going to kill him uh, or he's going to get real rowdy. But he just like takes his, he bats his hands away and he's like, don't touch me, old man. I don't know where you've been. <laughs> and then he kills him later off screen. Just, yeah. That is, I think, perfect. He had Joker. great jokes in this one. <laughs> he did. I love the, the moment when he and Andrea are fighting and it looks like Andrea has him on the ropes. She's got him pinned to a table and he reaches back for something to, to hit her with. And yeah. like he's reaching between the slab of bologna and the meat cleaver. And I choose to believe he <laughs> deliberately chose the slab of bologna because he knew of it would be Of course. Funny. Like, like, <laughs> it's like, oh, what's he going to grab? Slab of bologna, obviously. I love that. It's like so the fight funny. would have been over too because he fully made contact with the bologna. So if he had the knife, mm-hmm. good, mm-hmm. goodbye, Andrea. Well, speaking of voice actors, this movie has... Great voice actors all the way through, but we gotta talk about Kevin Conroy. Please, he is also my definitive Batman. And in this movie, he did just an amazing job because he has his Batman voice, he has his Bruce Wayne voice, and he has his younger Bruce voice, which is slightly different than his Bruce voice. Mm-hmm. Just the power of his instrument that he can manipulate to make all these sounds. He's really good. Yeah, yeah it. He's just the the most definitive in my mind at the so moment. They chose them for the Arkham games. <laughs> yeah, I I love the Arkham games. I also really like how uh, going back to Mark Hamill real quick. Like as he's been getting older, uh, like their iterations of Batman and Joker keep evolving, going from you know more kid friendly into you know rated M for mature. Also, Joker's, it seems, is becoming a little bit more of a smoker recently, which I'm fine with. They can do no wrong. But yeah, hearing Kevin Conroy as Batman in later iterations first and then going back to the animated series, it is striking how much he is able to manipulate his voice to create the perfect duality between Bruce Wayne and Batman. And then to see that evolution for the next 30 years. It's enough to make a grown man cry, which often it does. I I hear like in life when stuff isn't going on, when Kevin Conroy is doing like signings, like every 15 minutes or so, he'll just stand up on his table and be like, I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. And everyone in the line is like, woo! And they're crying. (laughs) Are you talking about how them continually getting better? Personally, I think they hit their climax. And they've been going down ever since the Killing Joke in 2016, because they finally did the part. Hot take. Hot I'm just take. saying this is my opinion. <laughs> well, Never mind, I didn't take the hot takes this time. Yeah, what's, what's the? <laughs> I am Nicholas so, Gomersall, and I'm doing the hot course. takes this time. Are you talking about Lego Batman Three? No, I'm, for the Batman Killing Joke <laughs> in 2016 was, as far as canon goes, when Joker and Batman finally have their ending showdown, and it was just. They were in the studio together recording it and they were that was gonna be the end of Batman and Joker for a while. But then the next year they did more Batman stuff, but Warner Brothers gotta make that money, yo. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I am what some industries refer to as a whale. I can't get enough. Yeah. I slap those two on to any project. I'm like, well, if they said yes, then it must be good. I did wanna bring up to Robbie that Stacy Keach, the uh, voice actor for Carl Beaumont, also voiced the Phantasm. So there's not nothing to suggest a twist. Granted, yeah. that is that is small when you already see it coming from the first time you sort of see Andrea. But I think that the production team was not without their wits when they went out to make this mystery for children. Also emphasize children. It was 1993 and the demographic was like 
12 to 16 year olds like after school group not for anybody else upset that there wasn't more phantasm it's called the mask of the phantasm i'm like you barely see this guy yeah it was Mm -hmm. he was there in the beginning and then at the very end and it's like yeah i wanted to build up like when they did batman the red hood there was yeah the red hood throughout it and this was just like the phantasm <gasps> uh it's andrea talking to bruce i wanted the mystery to be more about who he is and yeah less about the love story i mean the becoming batman was kind of cool mm. one of the issues with that i think though is because that they called it mask of the phantasm so part of my disappointment is like you said i wanted more of the phantasm but like i said i watch I, I know I'm not the only person who watches Batman for the villains. So you would think that they would lean more into the villain part. So I will admit some of my frustration at this movie may be exactly what you just said. Well, I heard they took a lot from Batman Year One and Batman Year mm-hmm. Two. Yeah. Which is in his origins. And I wish they had leaned more into the villain too. But mm-hmm. The locket at the end. There's no reason for it to be swinging and reflecting light as like a star g- blinking. Because if she put that there in the time for him to find it, it would no longer be swinging and it would just be staying there. It, flashing, it wasn't swinging. It was in like a crack in the wall. Yeah, but it, had, mm-hmm. it, it was flashing like a light was bouncing off it. That's how it caught his mm-hmm. eye. It so would not be moving cave. at that point. There's no draft in the back cave. He has that shit sealed. Air <laughs> conditioned. <laughs> so, are you guys ready to do would you under what circumstances? Yeah. All right, cool. Me, personally, this is a heavy recommendation, but I think your enjoyment of it will go up if you've seen some of the animated series beforehand. And you know some of Batman's origin story. But at this point, most people do. Um, and it's a fairly simple story to tell. You know, just to like get them up to speed by word of mouth. And then you can get straight into the action. It's only an hour and some change. So it's really not that difficult to recommend. Even if they didn't like it, it was, it was only about an hour and 16 minutes. Hearty recommendation from me. Yeah, I would recommend it as well. It's good animation, great art style. It's very 30s art deco in its design. It's got Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, his voice actors. It's overall a good time. And like I said, short, not so bad. I would recommend mm-hmm. it. Yes. I would not recommend it. I personally had enjoyment of it, but that's because I love the classic voice actors and the old animation style and just the overall arc of what Batman is. But as far as like an outsider would see this, unless they're like really into it, I wouldn't recommend it as just like a standalone. So, I mean, I'll recommend it conditionally on the fact that if you're a Batman fan, you're probably going to like it. But if you're not really a huge Batman person or you've already seen one of the Batman origin stories, this one may just be a general pass just because, like I said, it's not too great and the demographics a little off for who would be watching Batman. I will say that if someone has not seen any Batman and is only looking for one movie recommendation, I'm going to recommend Lego Batman because it's everything. <laughs> it's really good. You know, it's really good. It's probably, I don't know, I might say it's like the second best Batman movie. My opinion. <laughs> There's my take for today, fellas. Excellent. Yeah. Next week is Robbie's pick. Robbie, what are we watching next week? All right. So it's been a while before since we've had a little bit of a horror film. So I'm going to bring a classic back up, which I really like. It's not too over gory, but it is very interesting. And it's Poltergeist, which is Ooh. on Netflix. Oh, the which is probably, one? yep, which is one of my favorite older horror films. Have you all watched it already? I yes. haven't seen it. I have never seen Poltergeist. What? Greg, what? What? I, I, mean, I haven't seen it, but I would uh, be told. It is. I've not gotten around to it yet. Okay, we are definitely watching this because <laughs> it is amazing. The cinematography was great. Practical effects everywhere. You're going to love this film. So I am very excited. Usually if it's a horror film, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to need someone to hold my hand. That's where yeah, that, my that's... fear of clowns came from. 
So that was our discussion of Batman Mask of the Phantasm. We are the Film Fellows. Please follow us on all the social medias, Instagrams, and all that good stuff that we have. Join our Patreon when we get that up and running. We will see you all next week. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.